Before we get started with our story for today, I wanted to invite all of our listeners to visit the Buffalo History Museum's brand new exhibit, Continuum, A History of Erie County. Created in coordination with Erie County's Bicentennial Celebration, Continuum offers a glimpse into our region's history, a history dating back thousands of years. Inside, guests will discover the people, events, and innovations that helped build our county and view one-of-a-kind artifacts that illuminate its past. Among the many objects on display are Evelyn Rumsey Carey's Spirit of Niagara painting, a rare Lewis Lighthouse lens from early Buffalo, and the Ivor Johnson revolver used to assassinate President William McKinley in 1901. Continuum also features nine cutting-edge augmented reality experiences available through your own personal phones or tablets. To download the app, search for Continuum AR in the App Store or Google Play. And now, onto the show. Going, going, go, not gone, but going. Mrs. Annie Edson Taylor has been going, is going, and could, should, must, or will be going over the Horseshoe Falls in a barrel. Maybe. Perhaps. Should it be? And why not? She was due to go over early last week, according to the announcement. She was due to go over later in the week. Then she was due to go over yesterday afternoon at 2 o'clock. Instead of her going over, her trip went over. Over to Wednesday afternoon, that is. Between 2 and 4 o'clock, her manager, Frank Russell, announced last evening with positively his most positive positiveness. And Mr. Russell ought to know, because it was he who had previously announced positively that Mrs. Taylor would make the descent over the precipice at 2 o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. The raw power and natural beauty of Niagara Falls has captivated every group of people who have called the region home. From the indigenous peoples who referred to the region as thundering water as a tribute to its dangerous power, to the early Europeans who described it as, quote, astonishing, violent, and unparalleled in the universe. The 16-story precipice has stood as a beautiful but terrifying testament to Mother Nature's power. And like most awe-inspiring natural wonders, the falls has attracted its fair share of thrill-seekers and daredevils. While there are those who have pushed the limits and performed death-defying stunts near or above the falls, such as the Great Blondin or, more recently, Nick Walenda, only a handful have been willing to face the full fury of the mighty Niagara head-on. Of the 15 people who have attempted to go over Niagara Falls by various means, only 10 have survived. But all of them were inspired to attempt the feat by, of all people, a 63-year-old charm school teacher named Annie Edson Taylor, who, in 1901, became the first person to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. Like the falls themselves, Taylor's story is tumultuous and sadly often overlooked by history. But October 24th, 2021, marked both her birthday as well as the 120th anniversary of her perilous stunt. Taylor was born on October 24th, 1838 in Auburn, New York. Now, though her father died when she was only 12, the flour mill he owned left the family with enough money to live comfortably. Even as a child, Annie proved to have an adventurous spirit that defied the expectations of her gender. 
a biography written in 1990 described her as a young woman who was uninterested in dolls, instead preferring outdoor sports. She had a dreamy disposition and a lively imagination, quote, fueled by an insatiable thirst for adventure stories. She was also academically gifted, and her family's financial stability allowed her to pursue her studies. Annie studied to become a school teacher and even received an honors degree in a four-year training course. It was there that she met and married Dave Taylor, the older brother of a friend. Sadly, the couple's only child died in infancy, and her husband died shortly after. By 20 years old, Annie was a grieving mother and a widow. With no real ties to any one place, Annie moved frequently and took a variety of jobs to support herself. By her own claims, she crossed the American continent eight times and sailed the Gulf of Mexico 16 times. She lived in cities across the U.S. and even in Mexico. Interestingly, no matter where she went, trouble seemed to follow her. As one newspaper put it, she was persistently followed by ill luck. While living in Chattanooga, Tennessee, the house she was residing in caught fire, destroying all of her belongings and forcing Annie to flee the flames. After, she moved to South Carolina, where she found herself in the midst of an earthquake. While in Texas, the stagecoach she was riding in was ambushed by robbers. When they demanded whatever valuables she was traveling with, Annie, with a gun to her head, told them to, quote, blow away and refused to part with the $800 she had stashed in her dress. She eventually made her way to Bay City, Michigan, where she opened a dance and charm school catering to the children of wealthy locals. However, by 1901, her clientele was dwindling and her financial stability was in question. Fearful of living the remainder of her life in poverty, Annie did what any aging widowed charm school teacher would do, hatch a daredevil plan to catapult herself into the spotlight for financial gain. Now, as I said, it was 1901. Buffalo had spent the majority of that year in the national spotlight between the Pan American Exposition, the assassination of President William McKinley, and the inauguration of President Theodore Roosevelt. It seemed like the eyes of the world were on the city. Almost daily, newspapers around the country carried headlines talking about the events in and around Western New York. One of those headlines sparked a wild idea in Annie's head. As she would later say, quote, the idea came to me like a flash of light, go over Niagara Falls in a barrel. The simple yet terrifying idea was completely unique. No man or woman had previously attempted the feat. In fact, there was almost nothing to indicate such a thing could even be survivable. Undaunted, Annie decided she would be the first. Almost immediately, she realized that the barrel itself would be imperative to her success. It would have to be specially designed for the feet. She immediately got to work sketching diagrams and building prototypes out of cardboard and string. 
Taylor worked with a company that produced beer kegs and personally oversaw the construction of her barrel, even going so far as to hand select each piece of wood. The exterior of the barrel was almost as tall as the five foot four inch Annie herself and three feet across at the widest part. It was tapered at each end and held together with 10 metal hoops. Now, the plain and unassuming exterior hid a fairly sophisticated setup inside. At one end, an anvil weighed the barrel down to ensure that she would land upright in the water. There were also a series of harnesses and straps to effectively suspend her inside in an attempt to keep her from being tossed around. Finally, the top of the barrel was designed to be opened from the outside. Annie claimed this particular feature was in case she was too exhausted from her tumble to remove the top herself. Despite the obvious danger and the courage such an endeavor would require, Annie never saw herself as the daredevil sort. In fact, in one interview prior to her trip, she said, I do not wish to be classified with women who are seeking notoriety. I am not the common daredevil sort. I feel refined and I know that I am well-educated and well-connected. Now, regardless of how she wished to present herself, the media and the public had mixed feelings about her plan. Several news sources viewed the stunt as a bit of a joke or even saw Annie as a faker. The excerpt at the start of this episode was actually taken from the Buffalo Morning Express and was just one of the many news stories that treated the entire idea with a heavy dose of skepticism. A series of delays and postponements further added to their doubts. However, the delays weren't due to a lack of courage on Annie's part. Instead, she and her manager had difficulty finding a boat willing to launch her barrel. Many refused, saying they had no desire to take part in a suicide. On October 23rd, Annie set out for the falls, but at the last minute opted not to launch and postponed it to the following day. The police caught wind of the attempted stunt and the plans for its rescheduling. Also, wanting to prevent a very public suicide and to discourage future daredevils from stunts of this magnitude, they intended to prevent the launch. Annie's manager, Frank Russell, feared police intervention would not only inhibit the attempt, but also turn the stunt into even more of a joke in the public's eyes. He heavily publicized that Annie's departure would be after 2.30 p.m. on October 24th. However, all actual arrangements had been made for an hour prior. On the morning of October 24, 1901, Annie's 63rd birthday, she made her way to the home of Fred Truesdale, where she was to wait until her departure for the falls. Truesdale, along with Fred Robinson, were to serve as her oarsmen. But at 1.30, when she was set to depart, Robinson had a change of heart, or, well, maybe just a flashing instinct of self-preservation. See, the police had declared that they would arrest anyone who assisted Taylor in the launching of her barrel, or as the police chief had put it, quote, the committing of her suicide. The warning was enough to deter Robinson, who refused to go forward with the plan. 
After nearly 40 minutes of trying to change his mind, fellow oarsman Fred Truesdale gave up and sought the assistance of William Holleran, another well-known upper river boatman. Holleran agreed, and finally at 2.15, everything was set for her departure. Annie emerged from the Truesdale house in an ornate hat and a formal black Victorian gown. Though she had no intention of wearing it for her trek over the falls, ever the prim and proper charm school teacher, she refused to be seen in the knee-length black skirt that was better suited for the barrel. Instead, she would change her clothes on Grass Island, which had been identified as the optimal launch location. Annie approached the shore flanked by her manager and her oarsmen. A small rowboat was waiting with her barrel in the water, and a small crowd had assembled to see her off. Au revoir, she said, shockingly calmly to the small crowd. I shall not say goodbye, for I am confident I will see you again. Despite her formal Victorian dress, the 63-year-old woman climbed into the small rowboat. Next to her, the four-and-a-half-foot barrel she had so carefully designed. Without any further fanfare, Taylor and her barrel departed for a small island upstream from the Canadian Horseshoe Falls. Once on the island, Taylor traded her black gown for a knee-length black skirt and blouse. She then climbed into her barrel, giving it a final inspection and caulking any cracks or gaps. Annie adjusted the woven straps around her waist and threw loops in the front and the back of the barrel. To protect her knees and head from making, quote, violent contact with the barrel, cushions were packed on either side of her. Once she was in position inside, the top was fastened and her oarsman then used a bicycle pump to fill the barrel with fresh air. From inside, Annie corked the final hole and declared herself ready to go. As the men towed her into the water, a faint rapping came from inside the barrel. The barrel was leaking. After confirming it was only about a pailful of water at the bottom, Truesdale declared that it was fine, saying, you'll be over the falls and rescued in just a few minutes and the water will help keep you awake. We're gonna cast you off now. Goodbye. And with that, they positioned the barrel so the currents would carry it over the center of the Horseshoe Falls. A quick wrap on the top to let Annie know she had been cut loose and her fate was fully in the hands of the mighty Niagara. Now, before it reached the precipice, the barrel would have to travel through the rapids, which tossed the vessel surprisingly gently back and forth. Completely blind to the perils of her path, Annie could only speculate where she was in relation to the waterfall. And as she cleared the rapids, she felt the barrel drop as it passed over a reef. After passing over the reef, the barrel plunged into the water and became caught on the bottom. Inside, Annie could feel and hear water rushing over the top of the barrel. And unless she broke free, she faced the very real possibility of drowning even before she made her way over the falls. As panic began to set in, the barrel jerked forward and with a stomach-churning spin continued on its course. 
The anvil that she had brilliantly built into the bottom did the trick. Even as the powerful water spun the barrel, the weight at the bottom kept her upright. As the river carried the helpless tailor closer and closer to the edge, she again felt the barrel jerk. In the darkness and blind to her surroundings, it felt like she was being swept into another violent undercurrent that threatened to redirect the course of her fall. She felt herself beginning to drift off course. Completely unaware of how far she still had to travel to reach the edge, Annie feared if she continued on this new path, she would run the risk of plummeting dangerously close to the river's rocky edge. Bobbing uncontrollably in the rushing water, Annie was tossed as the barrel unexpectedly made contact with something, perhaps a rock. The sudden change to her momentum was enough to push the barrel back toward the center of the falls and onto her original trajectory. Then, just as quickly as the barrel had been tossed and turned through the mighty Niagara's currents, there was calm. It was though everything had simply come to a pause. And then, without warning, the barrel tilted forward, and Annie was at the edge. The currents threw the barrel over the edge of the falls and into a 160-foot, gut-wrenching, stomach-churning freefall to the waters below. Within seconds, she plunged into the deep waters at the base of the falls, the complete silence of her submersion terrified Taylor more than the thundering of the cataract itself. For a moment, she felt as though her senses were gone. The barrel plunged deeper and deeper before slowly beginning to rise back to the surface. Its gradual ascension was then suddenly interrupted by a violent change of direction and a thunderous noise that sounded as though the barrel itself were being smashed apart. The barrel again submerged, pushed underwater by the force of the falls, and then resurfaced, churning in the deadly waters at the base of the cataract. Annie was trapped. The impact of the water from above tore at the barrel, tossing and spinning it as though it were weightless. Water began to penetrate the walls. Inside, Taylor was thrown violently helpless against merciless Mother Nature. With one final toss, the barrel shot from the cataract like an arrow from a bow, giving Annie a frightful lurch. It landed in calmer waters, bobbing easily along the waves. Though her senses were almost gone by this point, she felt the barrel being pulled against the water and toward the shore. Feeble and Barely realizing that she'd been rescued, the 63-year-old charm school teacher managed to retort to her rescuers when they declared, the woman is alive. Quote, yes, she is, but much hurt and confused. After 50 minutes in her barrel, 35 of which she was in the grip of the tumultuous waters, the semi-conscious Annie was brought to shore. She was carried to her boarding house where, following a medical examination, it was declared, though bruised and shaken, she was going to survive. 
Now, upon the successful completion of her trip, the newspapers, which up until the moment of her departure, viewed her skeptically, almost immediately changed their tune. They hailed her as Queen of the Mist and reported on her triumph over Mother Nature and her unyielding determination to see the stunt through. And rather than viewing her as merely lucky, many commended her for the forethought and engineering that she put into her idea. She was viewed as a heroine rather than a daredevil, and the public was captivated. Newspapers reported on any detail they could about her while she recovered, and offers poured in from around the country for speaking engagements and even marriage proposals. Her manager, however, handled each proposition with caution, fearing that each opportunity was designed to make someone else rich off of her work. Which is ironic, because that's exactly what he was doing. Her manager, Frank Russell, was a small-time promotion manager from Bay City, Michigan, who had connections in the circus and sideshow worlds. He had never encountered a plan quite like Annie's and lacked any real expertise that would be an asset to her. He was, however, one of the few people that didn't view her as completely crazy for even entertaining the idea. Unfortunately, that became one of the main reasons Annie selected him to represent her. Almost immediately after her feat, Russell proved to be problematic at best. She had fully expected him to collect money from the assembled crowds while she was in her barrel. But rather than capitalizing on the moment, he was instead drinking in a nearby tavern. Now, frustrated by his lack of financial prowess, but too inexperienced to take affairs into her own hands, Annie was at his mercy for the booking of her initial events. She was also dependent upon him to handle any publicity. He proved to be further inept at these endeavors as well. After the stunt was complete, Truesdale and Holleran, her oarsmen, sought payment for their services. And now, while it's unclear whether the amount had been predetermined or offered afterward, the $5 and $3 they were respectively offered seemed pretty paltry given their work and her success. They very publicly demanded more money, arguing that they had put themselves in a great deal of legal and physical danger and had positioned Annie in the perfect location, sparing her a tragic end. After threatening to steal her barrel and hold it for ransom, Russell upped his initial offer to $25 each. The boatsmen refused and the rift attracted public attention. They eventually came to an agreement, but the media coverage had already tarnished the Queen of the Mist, labeling her parsimonious and stingy to those who had made her survival possible. One of Annie's first engagements, ironically not even organized by her manager, was at the farewell day festivities at the Pan American Exposition. She, her barrel, and the man who designed her safety straps were on display at the West Esplanade Bandstand. But to the crowds, something seemed off. The daredevil stunt woman who had braved the falls didn't exactly look her age. 
That is, she didn't look the age they expected her to be. You see, she and her manager had felt it would make a more attractive heroine to declare her age as 43, a full 20 years younger than her actual age. The woman greeting the crowds at the bandstand looked nearly 70, and while upbeat, was reserved and frail looking. Though she possessed the indomitable courage necessary to traverse the falls, Taylor lacked the showmanship and business prowess to capitalize off of her endeavor. With each speaking engagement and event, Annie became increasingly distrustful of Russell's management of her money. Russell viewed Annie as being oblivious to the business aspects of management and a boring schoolmarm whose rigid disposition was holding them back. Their relationship soured to a point of no return when Russell actually stole her now famous barrel and left her behind in New York State. By the spring of 1902, mere months after her Niagara Falls stunt, she was penniless and worse, barrelless. Russell had run off with a much younger stage performer named Martha Wagenfuhrer, who had attempted her own daredevil stunt in the Niagara by going over the rapids in a barrel. Her natural showmanship and youth made her a much more appealing heroine, and with Annie's actual barrel in tow, no one was the wiser to the substitution. Now, Annie attempted to capitalize on her feet all by herself, but failed to present herself as that daring heroine. Despite her best efforts, she always came across as that schoolmarm giving a lecture. Eventually, she had a replica barrel made to accompany her on her talks. But the financial gains she so desperately wanted just never materialized. She lived out the remainder of her life traveling before finally returning to Niagara Falls. She briefly toyed with the idea of repeating the stunt again in 1906, but instead set herself up as a small attraction. In addition to retelling her story, she posed for pictures with tourists and even offered palm readings and magnetic therapy. Annie Edson Taylor passed away on April 29, 1921, at the age of 82, at the Niagara County Infirmary. She was buried next to fellow Niagara River daredevil Carlisle D. Graham in the Stunter's Rest section of Oakwood Cemetery in Niagara Falls, New York. Though she never experienced the success she so desperately craved, she did become a legend. The idea of going over the falls in a barrel has become so intrinsic to the colorful history of the falls and the lore surrounding it that we often forget someone actually had to dream up such a feat and also have the courage to do the impossible. That person was Annie Edson Taylor. And on this, the 120th anniversary of her triumph over the Niagara, she is reclaiming the place in history which she so rightfully deserves. Today's story was researched and written by local historian Lindsay Lauren Visser and edited and produced by me, Anthony Greco. 
We'll be back in two weeks with another great tale from Western New York history. The Buffalo History Museum receives operating support from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Erie County, the City of Buffalo, the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of Governor Kathy Hochul and the New York State Legislature. Additional support is provided by M&T Bank and from our donors, members, and friends.